Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 323 of the No Encore Music Podcast. If I sound under the weather, it's because I am. Unfortunately, after 26 months of dodging, I've been hit by the fucking COVID bullet. I've got COVID. It sucks. Craig Fitzpatrick, last man standing. Last man How standing. Yeah, I'm not too bad. Um, you do you do seem under the weather. Um, yeah. I was, no, I was no saying prior hear, to baby. recording, I missed your kind of messages this morning. <laughs> So I was just checking my phone before we hopped on this and I was kind of doing that thing of like, you've been like at events and you're uber mm. cautious in terms of just <sighs> testing before you ever go out. So I just assumed you did one of your kind of normal tests and then you're like, oh, I've got COVID. I better just stay in. But no, you had symptoms and then had to get tested and you're like, yeah, yeah this is this is the thing. Um, and I, I have been I've, been, I've been very COVID conscious for the last two have, and a yeah. half years or whatever it's been. And... Yeah, I mean, did I get it at Ed Sheeran? Because I went to Ed Sheeran, like, please tell me that's told not you how not it to happened. go, man. I told <laughs> you not to go. I went for journalism. I went for the podcast as well. I was like, I could talk about it on the show. We'll get to that. Uh, I did have a heavy weekend. Uh, I will admit it was a, it was a social weekend, but you know, I've I've been so fucking careful and what, whatever. I mean, like, there's no. You feel almost guilty. I do feel almost guilty, and even well, on my shot. I know you shouldn't, but it's weird. But yeah, like I sent a message into the group chat this morning with just like three antigen tests. The first of which was extremely like, oh, fuck. And it was just like, I've gotten so used to doing the antigen test and like looking over after 10, 15 minutes and it being fine that this morning I, I literally froze and went, oh, no. Yeah, cartoonish <laughs> double take like, of like, what? <laughs> yeah, completely. Um, I am so, kind of looking yeah. at you in a different light, though, just in terms of... Yeah, you feel like a celebrity or something to be what honest say? do you know what, what I mean because I, I still haven't got it and you know Adam's had it and stuff but actually most of the people that 
have got it and I've been talking to, it's been a very brief, like, feel better and then they disappear for a few days. But we're about to do a full podcast. I know, you yeah. having know, the COVID. <laughs> the COVID. The vid, as I once christened it. Um, yeah, no, but like, I'm in my room. <laughs> like, I'm not leaving. Yes. So, like, I might as well talk into a fucking microphone. <laughs> I think I can do, I can, just, I can just about manage that, I suppose, and talk about music things that we've prepped for for most of the week so far. Push the Patreon, it's a great time. Yeah, let's push the Patreon. Yeah. Uh, if you want to help Dave um, through the COVID <laughs> by paying him money, uh, <laughs> you can do that. Over, and then to be fair, over at patreon.com slash noencore, you'll get a brand new episode of No Oxcore that we recorded on Sunday, yeah. in which I, I, I was a bit, I was a bit, I was a bit, a, a bit fitter, I think, then. Uh, that's our recommends corner. Myself, Craig and Adam sat down on Sunday for an hour and each picked five tracks to, you know, that we recommend that you th- we think you should hear. And it was a fun hour. Um, on the main feed, of course, Adam's been busy too. There's a new Before the Encore out right now as well. It's a busy week for the show, and we're back here as well. So on today's episode, though, you've got me battling illness. You've got live gig reports. Uh, we're reviewing the Pusha T album and our top five songs about crimes. Is it crime or is it crimes? Doesn't matter. You threw, you really, really threw me the other day when I um. I had to put the Patreon post together, the preview for the show. You also yeah. get previews if you sign up to Patreon, by the way. Please do. Um, and I'm not sure, like, crime, crimes, you know, it's one of those, isn't it? Is there a difference, would you say? Um, songs about crimes. I mean, like, songs about crimes would imply it's a very specific retelling of an incident, whereas, I guess, thematically, this would also include just the general vibe of being a criminal, that lifestyle... Um, there's a few different ways you could go. I think one of your chief concerns was that we might get into extremely grim territory, <laughs> yeah. and um, which you could you could well do, and you could actually you could do, do a good deep crimes. dive. Yeah, of course, kind of yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think we're probably going to steer clear of that. We're not going to have too much of a heavy one for the week that's in it. I've actually um, got some jaunty tunes in there. To be fair, like, I've got some jaunty tunes as well. I've got some real like you know crime songs as escapism. Do you know what I mean? And we can talk about the incongruity of that for sure, but yeah. Um, So let's just fucking dive into the news, because I do think that, like, me going to an Ed Sheeran gig is news. So Adam, please hit the (laughs) stage. I heard about the good news. I genuinely thought there we'd got on the blower to call Morrigan and got him to record a specific sting just for you going to Ed Sheeran. Would have warranted it, in fairness. Should have, yeah. But look, listen, it's been, yeah, I mean... It's been. It's been. It's been a weird few days. Um, I went to Ed Sheeran in Croke Park. Yeah. It was the second night. Um, I wrote a review for Joe.ie, which you can go and read if you haven't already. you find it on my Twitter account as well. My headline was Ed Sheeran in Ireland, um, a strangely tepid love affair that somehow yeah. endures. So, Your central kind of thesis was that he's gargantuan, but there, for, there's some strange disconnect. There's not mm. quite the... It's not the Garth Brooks thing. And I think no, that kind of bore out from your experience there. It was just like, yeah. I mean, there was large parts where you're like, you know, the spectacle is actually great, <laughs> you know, me. and it's, Sorry. and the sheer scale of it. And he kind of pulls it off at times. And yeah, there's sing-alongs, but are, you know, are people even really that into it? It just all sounds slightly uncanny valley big gig. How was the, it for you? Uh, the Sheeran scale of it, you could say. Um, it was definitely... You could say. I, I did say it. Uh, definitely Uncanny Valley. Still got it, folks. Um, definitely Uncanny <laughs> Valley in lots of ways. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, Craig read the review and said to me, um, so he said, to sum up, you're like, wasn't transcendent and they closed the bar too early, which is true in both <laughs> that cases. That was one of your gripes, yeah, a very specific it was. gripe. I forgot that they closed the you, bar you like got wrong footed. sharp. Yeah, I got wrong-footed. Um, so like, with, like just either side of it as well. And there was a fucking, there was like half an hour left in the show as well. So it was like, Jesus, guys, come on. Um, yeah, Uncanny Valley is a good way of putting it, I think, because... It's clearly a massive show, and you're seeing these giant video screens, which were in the shape of guitar plectrums, which I thought was horrific. Yeah. Uh, it looked so stupid, and it was like, what the fuck? I found that really hard so to like get So like a past. nod to his busking heritage. Of Still course man it is, of yeah, the people, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, he's for real. Um, so it really didn't take off, even though it didn't, but it really didn't take off until night kind of fell, and the screens mm. and stuff started looking a bit better. I thought it was really telling that the best, the biggest cheers of the night came for the likes of when he kind of broke into a bit of no diggity, because, you know, one of his songs, yeah. it's called Don't, kind of plays off that. That got a huge roar. He performed Love Yourself, that excellent Justin Bieber song that he co-wrote, but it's still a Justin Bieber song. Massive cheer. Um, Galway Girl, unfortunately, got people out of their fucking seats. Oh, my God. Upsetting. Um, yeah, it was all just very polite. Now, I knew it would be. And, like, I did see... I didn't pay too much attention to the comments. And some people might even listen to this right now and be like, well, Dave, you're never going to enjoy this. I didn't hate it or anything. But I, I will say, like, there was one... The first comment I saw from, like, a Joe reader was like, ah, Joe, would you not, like, send, uh, like, a fan along? And, like, I don't agree with that sentiment. I mean, I don't see, like... what well, that would just be a fucking PR exercise. I mean, like, I'm not not a fan, but I'm not a fan. Do you know what I mean? If that makes sense. I'm a businessman. You know, what's that Jay-Z line? <laughs> My head is too COVID-brained. I can't get it out. I'm, I'm a business, not a business yeah. man. I'm a biz. No, I'm not a businessman. I'm a business, business man. man. Comma business man. man. Yeah. yeah, okay. It's very yeah, clever. Enough. It is very clever. Maybe the best thing he ever did. Um, at one stage, Ed Sheeran talked about it. Like, so you've always asked the question. You've always been like, it's just him, right? It's one boy against the world. Yeah, and apparently um, it's not. No, he had musicians. Um, there was a drummer and a keyboardist off stage for the first couple of tracks, and then they kind of came back in later on. But he did notice he was like, he's like, oh, they're just there, you know, for a couple of tracks, yada, yada. But then he said, um, don't mind them. Don't mind them. <laughs> it's like the Wizard of Oz or something. <laughs> <laughs> you did not see that. Um, he like pointed to his five loop stations and he described what he does with them. And then he goes, it's very interesting. It's quite interesting. And I was like, at first I was like, it isn't. And then I thought, actually, no, it is. And then I put it in my review and I said, indeed, it might be the most interesting thing about him. And like one of my editors was like, that's fucking brutal. And I was like, it's interesting. <laughs> like, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, if he had a whole YouTube series of tutorials on that, he would probably have millions of views, even if he wasn't yeah. at Jern, So True. Yeah, fair He's enough. He's a talented um, man. Um, Any other questions, Craig? It was grand. Like, it was... The headline is that there isn't a headline. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's that kind of a thing. How was the venue for you in terms of... Because, as you've just mentioned, he had other musicians, but it's still quite a small-scale operation, and he's mm -hmm. not a take-that, where there's there's not going to be elements of, you know, real kind of song-and-dance-man performance stuff. So, did he feel swamped in that huge, huge stadium? A little bit. Um, yeah. He's he's savvy and canny enough to do it, and he's done it before. He's literally played that venue before, and of course the night before. But like, yeah, it, something just felt a little bit lost. The sound wasn't great. Um, it was okay, and I just felt like it just never really got going. Even like the hardcore fans around me uh, seemed to have a good time, but nothing too wild. There was never like a liftoff moment, really. Um, yeah, it just it just didn't. Quite. The venue itself, I mean, um, very cold. It got very cold at one stage. Um, so I mean, yeah. yeah, April was, night, man. 
April Sunday I night. did see because I got stu- I was at Alan Partridge um, and made the mistake of getting sucked into like the tractor beam of um, <laughs> Krog Park traffic and pe- you know people traffic as well mm. took two hours to get home Jesus uh, it was a bad call but there was a lot of people dressed for like July yeah, <laughs> wandering the streets at like half 11. I was just like, ugh, would not yeah. want to be them. I, I managed to, I left right as you started playing the very last song. I'd, I'd yeah. seen enough, I, I thought, for my review. Um, and then I walked all the way home to Dominate. Took about an hour, but it wasn't. I didn't, I, I kind of, I timed it strategically well. Um, yeah, look, I mean, he's polite, he's beige. I mean, there had been lots of re- like kind of rumors and whispers and reports in the days up to it that like the second night wasn't doing well ticket wise and stuff um and that maybe we're looking at like a taylor swift situation um in the end however it was done they did have a lot of people in there there was plenty of empty seats so lots of space but nothing to be like holy shit this is awful yeah. you know however i you know depending on who you ask there were lots of tickets being given out you know in on mass from from what i heard in some cases and you know i won't recklessly speculate any further than that it's a tough gig you know like some people i spoke to were like it's a like it's a huge ask you know like it's too oh, yeah. perhaps too big of an ask and like ultimately the garth brooks thing is like he is a bigger draw he's been away longer the country has a genuine fascination with him sharon i don't even think he was away that long for his hiatus he's he's over here a fucking lot and it's just weird like as you i think you said it recently you were like he's always been a chart presence but he's never had a full massive zeitgeist moment that we can physically cling to. He doesn't really stand for anything. He doesn't represent a moment. Like, you think Garth Brooks, you think of, of course, aside from the Croke Park madness of a few years ago, you think like the 90s Celtic Tiger, like your ma going to line dancing classes. It was like a (laughs) cultural thing. Yeah. I feel like Ed Sheeran's never had that. Yeah, he's just been kind of pop chart adjacent. And like, you've raved about it and I finally got to it and it is excellent. That two-part Netflix documentary, Garth Brooks, The Road I'm On. So if you have a Netflix subscription, go watch it. But could you imagine being like, oh, I'm going to settle in there for this three-hour Ed Sheeran documentary. It's just not quite there. He's probably more interesting for the stuff that he doesn't show us. Do you know what I mean? Like that Newsnight thing, that was interesting. And fair play to him. And I mean that like unironically and uncondescendingly. He's, um, He's managed to create this insane career by being a fucking busker who got lucky. You know, that's just the way of it. Yeah. Uh, how yeah. was Alan Partridge, hard work. though? Alan Partridge was um, really enjoyable. It was, um, Adam had been there the previous night and he um, reported good things. And it's kind of that thing of like, if, if first of all, I'd forgotten it was booked, so it was a nice surprise. And second of all, it was as much about going to like worship in person at like the altar of Alan, <laughs> the character. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like I've been at Sparks recently, um, saw Hayden Thorpe, <laughs> but when he comes down, like when Steve Coogan as Alan Partridge comes down, tries to slide down the banisters at the start of the thing. I was kind of like, okay, this is the first proper rock star I've seen in person. In like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? This is like seeing Paul McCartney or something, who nice. was um, the frontman for Wings, um, the band the Beatles could have been. But do you know what? There's there was things I could have, I could have picked holes in certain aspects. There was a lot of screen work, which in comedy just means that like it's him interacting with pre-recorded bits. So if and he was brilliant at it, but if he was like fractionally off you would kind of notice. And then when he wasn't fractionally off, you'd be kind of going, oh, he's doing this brilliantly. Um, so there was those kind of moments, but 
he did the Martin Brennan thing, which was hilarious. Some of the offhand stuff was brilliant. If you're a huge Partridge fan, him like talking about the pedestrianisation of Norwich City Centre, it's just, it's all that kind of catnip. It's great. Um, but yeah, it is that thing of like, some of my favourite Partridge stuff is like the little details and the kind of little character bits and some of the nuances of his expressions or on the flip side, the kind of written stuff where you really get character building. Whereas when he's on stage, it just has to, by its nature, be a bit broader. So it was a different show to enjoying Partridge on TV, but it was, I'm glad I went. It was, I laughed a lot. It was very good. Awesome, man. Um, In news that didn't take place in Dublin's fair city this week, Craig would like to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I believe. (laughs) You're putting this on me here, yeah? It's the first story in the running order. Devo frontman Mark Mothersbaugh, who's (laughs) now become a fixture of, uh, he's just like the new Gene Simmons, except not evil, is he? I guess that's what's happening. But yeah, this caught my eye. It's been quite enough. evil. How dare you? Okay, he's a very problematic man, but whatever. Okay, he's um, problematic, complicated, complicated. yeah. 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 Less complicated is Devo. Um, They're up for inclusion in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year, um, as they have been in 2018 and 2021. I guess the conversation around the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which we keep having, um, because you know it's right oh, sorry, up there with I'm the Ivor and I'm just going to jump in here. I'm oh yeah, please jump do, in here. Adam. Hi, Sonic Architect, Adam here for anyone who <laughs> doesn't got know. A mic. Um, yeah, uh, you really, <laughs> you really did yourselves in on that one this week, guys. Um, but yeah, we need a sting for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think at this point, don't we? We could work on one. Um, oh. And we have well, we yeah. haven't we haven't had Kiss Corner I can in a while either. I can ar- that's a great yeah. shout. He's just volunteered to do a sting. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is... This it's part and parcel. It's my job. It's what I'm here for. Anyway, I'm going back into the shadows now. You can come back on the mic. He's um like he's auditioning. Like, this is real-time auditioning for my role as this illness cripples me, you know? Before we before we go full Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Devo, Adam, seeing as you were at Partridge as well, I mean, did our kind of... I think our views on it coalesced a fair bit. You went with your dad. He had a great time. It was kind of that thing of, like, you have to give yourself over to the show aspect of it, right? Yeah, what it was for me was like the first half felt a bit slow and then the yeah, second half yeah. the second half picked up big time. I loved it. Like the Martin Brennan thing was really, really good. Yeah. Um Um but yeah, no, I, I don't know. I think it wasn't like it wasn't as partridge as it could have been by nature, I think, right? Um I think it was like by nature, like you were saying, partridge is like a screen character or a written character. It's hard to like translate that to you know it's hard to translate that into the stage so yeah you know it, it was it was kind of a bit maybe a bit of a stretch but i think he pulled it off i really enjoyed myself yeah yeah it was really good it was right up there with a rock and roll hall of fame award show i, I was wondering how you're gonna link back, back to in. It, but smooth as silk incredible <laughs> I guess the conversation around this this year has been um, Dolly Parton essentially saying, well, washing her hands of it and saying, I know I'm nominated, but please take it back. And I haven't, uh, quote unquote, earned the right for inclusion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, So Mark Muttersbaugh, who's, you know, potentially going in, was asked about it. He says, I think she has as much right as, say, a rapper would. She has every right to be there. Her music, whether she knows it or not, has a lot of rock elements in it. I voted for Dolly Parton anyhow, so he's championing her. Um, I suppose also going against her requests as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't think we talked about that aspect of the story, did we? Where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame came out and we're just like, well, we're not taking you out, Dolly. <laughs> so suck it up. Um, the admin is done. The website is the made. The admin is done. Yeah, yeah. Everyone knows that 
a huge part of rock and roll is admin. I assume and you have program t-shirts as well. So, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, it's you can't back out now. And she should understand this. This woman has been touring for years. She understands the 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 nitty gritty red tape of a of a major event. No. Yeah, very much so. And I think also Mark Mottersbaugh sees the kind of complexities of the Hall of Fame and he was, you know, saying himself, on the one hand, I like John Lydon's view when he was asked and he said, you know, what would it mean to be inducted? And he replied, I'd be wondering what we did wrong. But he says the reality is that like the Hall of Fame is bigger than just being about like the obvious traits of rock and roll. It's about like concepts and ideas that changed rock and roll. So that's his take on how we're getting in every single genre at this point. And he says at the risk of being a modest, I think Devo, bigger than our record sales, had an influence on the aesthetic and trajectory of rock and roll. So it would be nice to be recognized, which I think is a fair shout. He also said if they get in, he will be buried next door to it because apparently Cleveland and Ohio has really relaxed burial rules, which is interesting. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It's we'll keep an eye on it, Dave, I suppose. You know what else has really relaxed burial rules, Craig? Ed Sheeran's mausoleum, which unfortunately yes. he didn't mention during the concert. He did mention That's getting the applause. Though. That's getting the applause. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very if good. there was a documentary, I was thinking if there was a documentary on Ed Sheeran's thinking behind the mausoleum and the construction of it and just that whole process. Maybe like sure. a six-part series? Yeah, Ghost Hunting with Ed Sheeran. I'd watch that. At one stage, Fantastic. he did say to the crowd in Croke Park, I, I, I thought I fucking, you know, my, my brain just like zoned out for a second. And he just goes, um, have any of you guys seen Sons of Anarchy? And I was like, what? Oh yeah, what was that? Because um, he, he is somehow was the lead into the song Perfect. I missed a bit, but he was on a show by the creator from Sons of Anarchy called The Bastard Executioner. And I guess that's what he was referring to. Maybe he was like, okay. I wrote this during my downtime on the set or something. But it was just a very strange thing to do. He didn't he also, say, he, like, has anyone heard of a show called Game of Thrones? <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, he Mass didn't. walkout. Uh, it muddied my joy, as he once said about it. Um, and he did the encore in like his, uh, his Ipswich Town jersey. I would have assumed the guy will wear a fucking League of Ireland jersey or an Irish jersey or something. No, no. I'll wear the League One football club that I sponsor. Okay. All right, mate. I kind of like that, to be honest. I <laughs> like that succession. he's not pandering. It's very anti-Brooksian. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I suppose. So he is the anti-Garth like Brooks. Okay. Yeah, he kind of is. Let's talk about a real rock star, though. Someone who doesn't have to resort to these cheap tricks. Someone who can walk out wearing a fucking garbage bag and will still bop along. I'm talking, of course, about Mick Jagger. Oh, you went Mick Jagger. Okay. <laughs> Frontman of the Rolling Stones, who did an interview this week with a Swedish radio station, and he said... um, He's quite a big fan of Machine Gun Kelly, it seems. Uh, he, he says here, uh, in rock music, you need energy, and there haven't been a lot of new rock singers around. Now, there are a few. You have Youngblood and Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> I know kind, he's like 80, but come on. <laughs> that kind of post-punk vibe makes me think there's still a bit of life in Gosh. rock and roll. Um, so hang on, where to, where to begin with this? I should say that having hailed um, Machine Gun Kelly's post-punk vibe that doesn't really exist, Machine Gun Kelly this week has come out and said that he's going to go back to rapping after this. Yeah. Know, it seems like he's done with the emo uh, phase of his career. Yeah, weird. I mean, the thought of Mick Jagger, like, listening to Youngblood is pretty funny, I suppose. But I mean, he could have said Dave Grohl, who he did that terrible song with last year. Remember that? Remember Easy Sleazy? Easy, sleazy. Yeah, how can I forget? Um, we can <laughs> at this stage, we can only we still be thankful. Talk about today. <laughs> yeah. 
I think the big th- takeaway was that at least he hadn't gone like Van Morrison in terms of his views. Like he still oh, seems yeah. a bit like socially okay. Um, no, he was fine. I'm going to assume that this is a case of him not listening to most kind of new music and maybe he met Machine Gun Kelly and Youngblood and were just like, they seem like nice chaps. Do you know what I mean? Or he was just on the same kind of junket as them at some point, they cross paths and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I can see a bit of myself in them. Um, yeah, I'm surprised you didn't mention like Fontaine's DC, seeing as everyone is falling over themselves right now to say that that new 6 out of 10 album is like some kind of classic or something. And they're on the front of the fucking... Impromptu mini review, loving it. <laughs> they're on the front of the enemy and it's like, best band in the world. You're like, okay, uh, have you heard that album? Because we're not reviewing that this week, we're reviewing Push 2. No, I, I haven't spent any time album, with it, so I, 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 I had it. it on the background, but I, not enough to form an opinion. I liked some aspects of the last one. Yeah. Is it better or worse than the last one? No, the last one is significantly better than this oh, one. Okay. This is, okay. I found it very dreary. Uh, it's so funny because, like, yet again, like the narrative is shift now where it's like, you know, they're leaving all the Irish cliches behind. And it's like, okay, then you get to a song in which he just says the word plumes day over and over again in a dreary, monotone voice. And everyone's like, genius. This is just genius. It's like, okay. Did you see the um, Pitchfork review? Eight out of ten, I believe. Yeah, uh, but they included the line about them um, all, mo- most of them, I think, what, three of them now live in London? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it includes the line, they might as well be called like Fontaine's LDN. No <laughs> And people, way. of course, on Twitter were like, you what now, mate? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, Stuart Berman, I think, was the writer. Anyone not, get not an English person? Yeah. Did he? Uh, did he have to lock his account like I did? I don't think I... it got that out of hand. Okay. I just saw one or two stray <laughs> shots fired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the same interview over and over again. Um, and look, fair play. I truly don't dislike the pand. I just don't get it. And I really think that this album is very average, and it's kind of funny to me. Like at the moment, I think people like the level of hyperbole on this record is causing it immediate harm, but not in the commercial sense they'll be just fine uh let's stick to machine gun kelly though a true rock star if ever there was one what else is he up to this week greg um <laughs> basically i just included this because your headline read mick jagger likes the cut of this machine gun kelly's jib and then this uh additional news item allowed me to include megan fox likes the cut of machine gun kelly's actual skin i.e she drinks his fucking blood <laughs> so Me- megan fox has been talking about what they get up to um and, you know, in their own gaff, which is grand, I suppose, talking to Glamour UK. Um, they're newly engaged, I believe. That's correct. And they, as all newly engaged people do, they um, engage in blood drinking ceremonies. Of course, yeah. That's a and, um, old Irish ritual, isn't it? I believe so. And also, she seems to be a magical person just in general, because she also believes that she created Machine Gun Kelly, <laughs> the human, not the character, by the power <laughs> of manifestation when she was four years old. Okay. To quote Megan, um, he's literally my exact physical type that I've been manifesting since I was four. Not to back there. <laughs> I'm also four years older than him. So simple mathematics. So yeah. I think I made him. My thoughts and intentions grew him into the person that he is. Who knows what he would have looked like or been like if it wasn't for me. So Mick Jagger can thank Megan. Um, and yet, apparently the taste for blood thing is, um, it's pretty tastefully done, Dave. Um, so they kind of need to do it as part of this um, passage um, Are they vampires, they Craig? They need to do it. <laughs> Sorry. She says it is controlled, where it's like, let's shed a few drops of blood and each drink it. And apparently Machine Gun is much more haphazard and hectic and chaotic, where he's willing to just cut his chest open with broken glass and be like, take my soul. Can't believe you just called him Machine Gun. 
Kelly, Gun Kelly, Kelsey. MJK, Colson, Colson Baker, um, I think is his name. Isn't that correct? Yeah. The the end of this um, glamour UK story ends with the lines. Um, did you read the whole the thing? I did, yeah, Perfect. and included it there. And the final line is, Megan also took aim at the feminists, <laughs> saying she upset a lot of women after she revealed she called her boyfriend daddy. But yeah, Glamour UK doing their bit for um, the feminist cause. The feminists. The feminists. Well, nice I mean, done. I, I, I see your Glamour UK uh, doing their bit for the feminist cause, and I raise you Better Homes and Gardens doing their bit for... People quite, quite rightly saying, shut the fuck up, who cares about what my sexuality is? And who is saying that this week? It's Harry Styles. And if you do, in fact, jump on to patreon.com slash noancore and check out the new Noox chord, you'll find that I picked a Harry Styles song, his current single, As You Are, or you As did. It Was, sorry. Uh, as You Are, I think, is a weekend song. But uh, As It Was, which I think is a bit of a belter, I really like it. Um, Steve Galler, isn't it? As You uh, Are, LG. As You Were, it's not LG. His- as you were, yeah. As you were, but yeah. didn't he call an album that and a song? I don't know. Who I don't knows? know. I don't know. Um, so basically, Harry Styles, who has an album coming out soon, it's on the 20th of May, it's his third record, we're genuinely looking forward to hearing it. Um, he did a new interview with Better Homes and Gardens for some reason, and he basically said that he discussed the ongoing conversation around his sexuality, and he said, quote, I've been really open with it with my friends, but that's my personal experience. It's mine. The whole point of where we should be heading, which is toward accepting everybody and being more open, is that it doesn't matter. And it's not about having to label everything, not having to clarify what boxes that you're checking. Um, this follows on, like, like, it's not the first time he's been asked stuff like this. I mean, he did an interview with The Guardian in 2019 and said, like, I'm not sitting on some answer and protecting it and holding it back. I'm not, like trying to, you know, make something out of it. It's like, who cares? It's just, who, who cares? And it's like, completely. I mean, it's kind of wild to me that this is a thing, that people yeah. are like, oh, like, journalists are openly being like, what way do you swing? It's like, it's the fucking 80s or 90s or something. And that it seems entirely based on him dressing a certain way, right? Because it's not like it's been so, a big yeah. conversation or things. He is, you know, he hasn't teased potential... Um, relationships of that ilk. I don't. I might be wrong. Well, no, he's, he's been extremely. It, he's been extremely embracing of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, yeah. And, you know, all that goes with that, uh, which I think has been both a very smart career move and also an organic thing because he's probably just really sound. You know, it's like, yeah, he's been very, very, you know, I think, I think he's done a lot. I think he does a lot being of good. Being a modern human being. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. like he's kind of, I, I think I said on Oscar that he's kind of, he's kind of dressing like perfume genius at the moment. Um, even, yeah. down to the, even down to the hair, like, like those two together, like kind of look identical. Um, and I hope he puts out an album as good as a perfume genius album soon. That'd be nice. Um, he won't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, probably, he probably won't. Maybe he will. Maybe. He will. I, won't put, will. I won't put that on him. I'm I sorry, hope he Harry. does. But, yeah, so do I. But yeah, it's weird. I mean, like, it's just like uh, at the moment, like, I mean, there's a new George Michael documentary coming out, I think. Um, and I heard like a review of possibly this or something else like uh, on the radio the other day. And the reviewer who was on just kept like lauding incredible plays about, about George Michael and just saying like how he like will never get will never have another artist like him. And I think that's that's genuinely true. And I think that I've mm. we talked about it on this show recently that I've found myself like later in life being like, man, that guy fucking ruled and I didn't appreciate him at the time. And he had to face like all kinds of slings and arrows about his sexuality in such a really horrific tabloid doorstop way. It doesn't look like Harry Styles is, is facing the brunt of that, but I think he's right to kind of stand up and say, well, it's no one's fucking business unless I want it to be someone's business, you know? So yeah. he's a multi-layer guy. Well, yeah, yeah, completely. Like, why, like, why is this the headline? But And from you, you expect better, Craig, from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, yeah. But do we expect better? 
in terms of uh, or something more harmonious in the world of Kanye West and Kid Cudi. We've talked recently on the show about their falling out. It is upsetting. We will be reviewing the Pusha T album upon which they collaborate in just a couple of moments. But Pusha T has been doing the media rounds this week, of course. Yeah, he's been wake- talking to Better Homes and Gardens. <laughs> Kid <laughs> Cudi, yeah, he's been talking to Tomorrow's World magazine. <laughs> he, um, he did a couple of interviews. He did one with Vulture and he talks about the Kanye Cudi thing and he said that it fucking sucks. You know, Mm. Cody is my fucking brother to the end. Just navigating these relationships, this brotherhood, the arguing, it gets public. It's one thing for us to argue. We all argue. That's not a problem, but it gets out there. Whether it's Ye bickering first or Cody coming back with what he says, it's super fucked up, says Push. He also spoke on a Sirius XM radio show about this situation, and I have some audio of that that we can hear right now. I don't know, man. I don't know where they're going with this one, man. I mean, it's it's so wild because... The record that we did together for us almost dry. I just remember that day so vividly. It was like so good. Like, you know, Ye started chopping the the, the Beyonce sample. Mm-hmm. Cuddy just pops in. I hadn't seen Cuddy in a long time. Ye hadn't seen Cuddy in a long time. Again, energy's high. Energy's high. It's pandemic, and we find you know we didn't found our way to like L.A. Mm-hmm. in this art space cooking. You know, Cuddy came in there and killed it. He did like five different versions of the hook. You know, we got to pick one, which one we thought was this. We we sitting there piecing it together. And um, you know, man, just the things that happen. Brothers fight. Family business. That's it. Brothers fight, man. And yeah. and and sometimes it, it it go far and you know. I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully 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 we can all figure it out, says Pushy T. And here here. Give peace a chance, says Push. I like, I, yeah, I, I just want to say, I liked how he described that um, session where it's just like, the way he describes, like, yay coming up with the beat is akin to him talking about, like, oh, his dad was on the grill, you know, doing some steaks, and <laughs> Cuddy was having a glass of rosé, and the sun was out, and it's a lovely image, and yeah, yeah. Can you imagine That's being t- there? Can you imagine being in that, like, like in that space? That would be incredible, wouldn't it? It would just be wonderful. He was on... We can get close to it, though. He was he on... Was on what? He was on Fallon during the week. Typical yeah. anodyne bullshit from Jimmy Fallon. And he's like, what do I call you? Do I call you Push? Do I call you... It's like, I fuck. saw that. Fuck. <laughs> that, is, that is so like... <laughs> Chacho 20 years ago Rubbish. like oh the rapper's on what do you go by it's like Jimmy Fallon has like Questlove as like, yeah it, it, he's mates with him he knows what to call rappers it's like, also just, it's I, I appreciate so Pushy contrived G. it's I, just like I appreciate a funny name to start with isn't yeah. as big a mainstream name as a Kanye West but like this isn't his first album it's not like yeah. he's just come out of nowhere who are you um, so yeah basically at one stage he, he just described the difference between Pharrell and Kanye as producers because uh, one produced one half of the album and the other produced another half of the album um, and he basically was saying that like Pharrell is much more like a composer and he kind of like, yeah. you know, he's very kind of like... I have he, a clip of it, actually. Do you? Okay, well, we'll get to, to that. Save it, but yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Um, cool. But what we will first get to is a preview of this record. It came out last Friday. It's called It's Almost Dry. This song, which features Kanye West and Kid Cudi, you'll hear one of those men on this one with Push. It's rock and roll. Let's hear it. Hall of fumes through the vents. I don't care what they do. This ain't that. That ain't this. I'm the trap. I'm the fix. I'm the broker. I'm the joker in the deck. Arthur Fleck when he's pissed. Triple six. I accepted you the line. All the time. Self is thinking you was mine. I showed up then you arrived. I thought I could turn the tide. How I make it through the shine. Get to you and almost. That's rock and roll, baby. As Eamon Dunphy might say. But it's not that great 
orator that we're here to talk about is Pusha T instead. Craig Fitzpatrick, I trust, has a primer for me. And you, yeah. listener. Pusha T from Virginia Beach managed to stay alive for 44 years, baby. <laughs> to <laughs> paraphrase Eamon Dunphy. He's on his fourth solo album, um, this being it. He's one of the greatest coke rappers of all time. Um, as good as I think that genre gets. Um, whether you're like your Jeezy's, your J's. Um, and arguably he's kind of matured a little later, but he started from a really high level. Um, so that was emerging as part of the, I guess now iconic duo clips with his older brother, Malice, who became no Malice when he found God. Although he's back to Malice, I think, maybe on this one, um, which could be interesting in the future. Um, but Solo Push has been doing his thing for about a decade now. Um, it's four years since he got a Grammy nomination for Daytona, which was album of the motherfucking year. Um, <laughs> in some circles, well, that's what he said anyway. It was a surgical summer. Um, Drake has since admitted that it was his first loss in the competitive sport of rapping um, <laughs> after the, the diss track um, story of Adidon. Which I guess Daytona set the scene for. He was just kind of goading him into doing something and Drake did something. And it's, yeah, it's, it could be my favorite moment in music of so the last good. four years. It's Cans. still incredible. I always, I just, oh, I just think it's, it's genius. He should be fucking, there should be statues of Pusha T around the world because of this. It's unbelievable. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> and like, that definitely captured a lot of people's imagination. Um, and the album did as well. Like it was very condensed, um, seven tracks had like a laser beam focus. And yeah, then like the last track was literally a laser beam pointing at Drake. And like, <laughs> here's the bait, will he take it? And he took it. So <laughs> I guess he's been writing that to an extent ever since in terms of he's been, he's put out a lot of kind of Lucy's and he's, you know, cropped up here and then right there with like kind of guest verses. Um, it's always a bit of an event, even when he's being interviewed. I mean, you hear clips of him there and he's just quite a captivating dude. Um, but since the album, he's hit a couple of milestones, I guess. He's become a father. Uh, he's now been solo longer than he was in uh, clips. Uh, he lost both his parents last year, I believe, as well. Just kind of a, a lot of changes in his life. And um, yeah, I guess the difference with this record is Daytona, I guess, was so breathtaking for a lot of people because he still felt like a bit of an underdog um, to some. Certainly going up against Drake um, in the wake of that. And also, just if you if you remember that summer, it was like Kanye's run of just producing a whole bunch of albums, and that was the first one out. And I think it was kind of initially a little overlooked, even though it was maybe the strongest along with Kids He Ghosts. Um, but at this point, I mean, he's very much a star in his own right. This feels like it could be a coronation of sorts. Um, like he's seen, he's held up there as like this connection in hip-hop back to like the street rap thing like he's a representative for like keeping it real and grounded and if you like you know bars about selling bricks and not like mumbling he's kind of your guy um and yeah he really is kind of hip-hop royalty because as you, as you can see with this record like he has his foot in both the star trek camp um with pharrell and the neptunes and also good music president of good music so two like era defining and overlapping kind of dynasties he's like a main player in those and you've got this very fitting thing where his kind of biggest spotlighted or most spotlit um solo record features equal productions from pharrell and kanye like i said even in some of the streaming services there's versions of this already up officially where it's 
uh, Yay versus Pharrell it's and the track Spotify. listing it's actually reappears on Spotify as well, yeah. the main album if you have like in terms of the drop down menu like and I found myself accidentally listening to it at one stage because I obviously yeah. don't want to listen to the narrative as is the narrative but you know it still works that way as well yeah, it's kind of a weird thing, but it does, it does, I guess, add to the sense of event and, you know, push T as a performer. He's a shrewd man, so I'm sure he's happy with all that kind of stuff. All that said, I mean, did this as a record live up to that billing and the expectations around it for you? How'd you get on with it? Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's just a question of how much did I enjoy it? Um, yeah. I would say one thing, because um, it was last week where... Craig put a message into the group chat and said, like, new Push T album on Friday. He said, uh, quote, I can't wait to see what he has to say about procuring and selling cocaine. Um, for, <laughs> anyone who somehow doesn't, <laughs> for anyone who somehow doesn't know what that means, Craig, what does that mean? And in fact, did he deliver on that front on this record? Boy, did he. There's definitely a cocaine <laughs> reference on every single track. Um, sometimes every single verse, maybe. Um, yeah, I guess the one stick you could maybe beat Pusha T with, and I don't think it actually is used as a stick to beat him with, it's more like a, oh, that push. It's just that so much of his um, persona, but also his kind of, um, his lyricism is based around the fact that when he started out, or prior to him starting out as a rapper, um, he would sell cocaine around Virginia. It's not something he's proud of. Oh no, wait, he's extremely proud of it. <laughs> and it's coloured everything um, he's done since. And he's actually kind of addressed this. I, I think it was a recent interview, but he's he basically says like, people don't give out to Scorsese for doing um, mob movies. So I think he's kind of admitting that this is like a genre that works for him. He right. uses it as a jump off point. And I'm constantly like marveling at how he comes up with new like triple entendres. Well, he refers to himself and, as a cocaine's yeah. Dr. Seuss on this Incredible. album. Incredible, yeah, which so is good. Magnificent. <laughs> um, my theory about how he gets away with this is because he's so fucking charming. And I think that yeah. like... And he's such a personality. Um, you kind of hinted at it there, but it's like, it's an event when a Push T album comes out or when he does anything. Because he's just, he's so fucking cool. <laughs> like, yeah. he's so dexterous. Uh, I love his vo- I, I love his voice. I love his vocals. I love what he does with it. Um, and the beats on this thing, in some cases, are incredible. Uh, Let the Smokers Shine the Coops, the second track. Yeah. Like, you're just like, that's a, all, almost in Black Skinhead territory where you're like, I just want to keep hitting repeat on track two here you know um yeah yeah i mean like this is a very nimble record despite the fact that it's 12 tracks it's just a little over half an hour long um you could argue that there's not a lot of elevation in terms of a narrative or you know depth from say daytona which is probably the better record quote unquote but yeah i mean i I find it hard to fault this there's a couple of moments where maybe it's a bit too hazy for its own good um, maybe a little bit meandering on stuff like Call My Bluff and Scrape It Off The Top. Like I, I think that the second half isn't as compelling as the first half, um, but it's got a beautiful closer with Malice, which is I Pray yeah. For You. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, it, it, I, I think this is top tier stuff. I, I find him so compelling. I, I kept wanting to go back to listen to it. There was never a point during the week when I felt like, oh no, I have to listen to the album again for the review, blah, 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 blah. I, I really loved carrying this around me all week. What do you think? Yeah, it's very Moorish. It's always good to have on you. It's um, just makes you feel better about yourself. It's uh, <laughs> he pushes good product, <laughs> basically. I think I agree. I think he's still he's still very much uh, King Push, operating at like an imperious level. Um, there's a couple of like absolute classics here, I guess, to add to the collection. And yeah, it's it almost becomes a thing of like 
is reviewing him a bit redundant because he's got a really his quality control and his like taste in beats who to work with and what he puts out there because you know as you said it's it's little over half an hour um daytona was what sub 25 minutes just a little over 20 minutes um he's not letting a lot of stuff out there um and he knows that when he puts something out it's going to be good uh so he just he's a total master and like there's an aspect of like aside from the quality of it him knowing that he is in complete command um of his kind of form his art form and his mastery over the bars and who he collaborates with it's just like it's really kind of nice to see it's it's something you can kind of admire um and yeah like some of the songs can get quite samey but i do think it's kind of that thing of like you know jaws isn't really about the shark like i you know it's not always or you know very often even about the cocaine i think it's he uses that thing as like a way of conjuring up imagery it's just a a currency i guess you could you can substitute it for other things but it's a way he kind of dexterously as he said talks about his upbringing how far he's come but also i guess african american culture in general the history of the states there's a few kind of interesting (coughs) history lessons there that are just like really definitely woven true um i do like he never really gets totally unvarnished though uh, self-doubt rarely creeps in he's not that guy like if you're looking for confessionals he doesn't let the mask slip i don't think he'll ever be that person i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing um because he's just as a creative force he's got so many kind of great voices um he's painting pictures it feels like a lot of time he knows that you're in on the thing of like a lot of this is kind of fiction but it's a mob movie and it's, you know, you're swept up in it and it's telling you about something greater. So just go along with it. Um, like even Brambleton, the opener, which is uh, the, the first two, I think, are Pharrell beats. That beat on the second one is tr- tremendous. Brambleton's brilliant as well. It does this kind of like burbling, undulating Pharrell thing where it's like like his sci-fi kind of beats going into like horror mode, which just works really well. But that, that kind of opens as a throwback to like where his mother used to work and it's like his, his younger days and it, then it gets into settling scores with I think an ex-manager that did a kind of tell-all interview about him and his brother recently enough. Um, so it doesn't get too navel-gazing though. It's like instead of really concentrating on his mom and his old kind of friends, he mainly seems annoyed that this guy wasn't a great storyteller and he kind of fucked up Push's story. <laughs> It's like his biggest kind of bag is the whole backstory and this thing he's been constructing and um, he just wants you to kind of step back and marvel at it. Um, I, how do, I'd be interested to hear your take on the division of production duties because I think it, it works kind of really well at some points. Dreaming of the Past is a classic. Yeah, you beat. Um, and Push has talked about like, really pushing for that like yeah he wanted to keep it for himself but he's like no i have to have it it's like you're it's one of those ones where it seems like a really obvious sample flip but now it's just going to be it's now become a classic yay beat um and that then segues into neck and wrist which is just pharrell doing kind of wondrous stuff what do you think of the jay-z verse um i liked i liked some of the lines but he's still very much in his um Jay-Z's got to a point where he's so confident about his own talent that he will kind of just lean off the beat and 
do this thing where he's being so nonchalant that it goes from being like, look, he's he's such a master that he can break all of the rules back to it being like, now maybe follow some of the rules at some point because this doesn't sound great. <laughs> do you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> uh, what did I, I've tried, I think I made a note of um, one of his lines that I liked because I was like, in fairness to him, there's some bars here. He what did you think himself. about? He doesn't, or, or anything close to it, but there are points where I'm like, <sighs> Jay, you're kind of, you're kind of turning into, like, not turning into, but you're you're adhering to the meme of you being a little not great on a lot of guest verses, but it's fine, you know, I suppose. At points, it's no biking like, where it just said, <laughs> <laughs> like, what is happening to this man? Um, yeah, it's it's fine. Like, I like, I can't find the exact line, but I like his thing of being, um, he's talking about being compared to, like, other rappers, moguls, um, just people in the game. And he sa- says, essentially, that I'm hanging your mansion on my wall because his, pay- his art collection is so expensive that it's, like, worth the same as your entire house. Like, he'll do clever stuff like that. It's interesting to me how Jay-Z has gone from being a kind of cocaine rapper as well to now just talking about real estate in the same way. And he gets off some good bars in that kind of way. So yeah, it was nice to have that inclusion. I mean, he's not operating at push level at this point, but I guess he doesn't have to. On the subject, um, um, on the subject of like the dual production kind of, yeah. uh, the whole thing was that Push T said that he wanted, you know, he wanted, it was like a, it was like a sport for him. It was like a competition. Yeah. Pit these guys against each other, see who wins. Ultimately, I will win. Again, the guy's <laughs> very, very clever. Um, it never became jarring for me. And at some points I actually misidentified. I was like, oh, that's definitely a candy beat. And it wasn't. So maybe I can yeah. give Pharrell a bit more credit. He is, of course, obviously great in the studio. Um, you said you had a clip of this to kind of yeah, explain? Yeah, Adam, if you want to lob that on, it's just, it shows, it's him on Jimmy Fallon just talking about the difference between the two, which I thought was interesting. And um, you referenced anyway, so here we go. What's, uh, they must have different producing styles. I very imagine. much so, very much so. What, what is Ye like? Um, well, Ye, Ye is just a Pusha T rap fanatic. So all, he just likes all of my raps and he just wants me to just rap all day long. And then he just wants to take them from me and edit them and do what he wants to do with it, right? Wow. Pharrell is like more of a, like a, a composer. He wants to make sure that every verse, every hook, every cadence, every flow, everything, he, he, he likes to call them sticky moments. He wants to make sure that everything is sticky and just stays with you the whole time throughout the whole song. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's way more tedious with Pharrell. It's way tougher with him. <laughs> way tougher. Uh, so classic Jimmy Fallon bullshit there at the end. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Feigned whatever and his fake laugh. Uh, I wonder which uh, which corner, which camp Adam Shanahan falls into on the production side of things in terms of the explanations we got there. Which one is more, which one is more you, Adam? Oh, Jesus. Um, put me on the spot here now. Um, I don't know. I think... It's different. You pick different, you know, you pick different modes for different people. It depends on who you're in the studio with and what the kind of the brief is, you know. Um, Like the last couple of days, I've been very much in the composer mode because I've been conducting a bit of a songwriting camp for one of my artists, Bobby Arlo. Um, So we've just been like working with lots of different people, like, creating new songs new sounds like designing stuff and like structuring really thinking about lyrics hard so like in that regard it'd be like composition but when it comes to like like I'd very I'd be a totally hands-off um it'd be totally hands-off when I'm working with the likes of Nilo or something like that because like I can't like 
I can't kind of be in his head and take his thoughts out of his head in the way that he can translate with his lyrics. You know what I mean? Like and with a lot of rappers, it's I think it's kind of the same. So I understand where like Kanye is coming from. Like Kanye is going to be the guy who's like making all these like beats and he just wants to hear like Pusha do his thing on them. And I get that, but um, I kind of, I see a lot of merit to Pharrell as well. It's, it's just two different people, two different styles, you know? Yeah, yeah, Craig. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I I think that's on point, but I, I do like Pharrell's approach of like, he's trying to dress up uh, Pusha T stuff and he's almost in awe of like the character. Whereas my preference slightly would be the relationship between Pusha T and Ye, where it's almost like they're dueling at times. It's like they're sparring, like the beef kind of flips one way and then the vocal comes in and there's this frisson, I guess, or something like that. <laughs> it was definitely present a lot on Daytona where it just felt like, I, I remember thinking at the time back to um, Deep Purple <laughs> doing a version of like Child in Time um, back in the 70s where um, Richie Blackmore is soloing and Ian Gillen starts doing like vocal soloing and they kind of start, you know, going back and forth and like having great fun. And that to me is like the way, yeah, he samples against Push's vocals. Um, and actually, ultimately, I think the thing you're you're left with, they're two of the best producers of all time, but some of the sonic stuff on this that stays with you is cadence of Pusha or like you know on a song like Just So You Remember where he's like literally rapping with menace through gritted teeth and you can hear his breath and like that is those are the kind of moments that kept playing in my head as opposed to the you know grade A production around it. I will say I will say not enough uh, yucks from him on this record. Zero? Was there one? I don't think there is any. Am I wrong? Insane. What the fuck? We've got that Joker laugh going on which is a Pharrell thing which I'm not sure about. Should also be noted as well that um, he does reference that film Joker uh, unfortunately. Again Pharrell forced him to watch it and was like that's you Push (laughs) and Push was like I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Well he also references Godfather too so at least you know there's some some good stuff in there too. Yeah. Uh, Numbers on the boards time Craig what are you going for? Oh lovely. Nicely done. I'm going nine. Oh um, my god! Wow! Yeah, that's fucking. I huge. agree with. I agree with you. There's like um, slight, maybe pacing issues, ever so slightly in the second half, and I think like a scrape it off the top is clearly him getting Don Tolliver and Illusion because to, to kind of get on board with their fan base and maybe have a radio kind of bop, but it's still like a great you know windows down in the car on a summer evening. It's I can't even fault that one. So it's got to be a nine for me. Okay. Um, uh, I will say, I was, yeah, I just want to say quickly before um, you jump into your score on the Don Tolliver thing, he is like one of the five golden features that you could possibly get on a record. So I think like he's, <laughs> Bush has clearly shown his business acumen there. Oh, you know? yeah, hugely. Coming off of uh, Moon, of course, on, on Donda, ah. which in any other year would have been our song of the year, but it wasn't to be. Uh, I will go 8 out of 10 on this one. Uh, it could rise. I think it's fucking great. I love Pushy T. I, I must confess, it took me a long time to get to him. And I do remember a few years ago, pre-Daytona, could it even have been when Daytona was coming out? I remember Higgs was mentioning that it was in, that, that this album was coming out. And I was kind of like... I was like, I'm actually not that familiar with him. And Higgs was like, what? He's like, this is unacceptable. So, but no, fully paid up now. God, my voice is going. Um, Yeah, 8 out of 10. It's almost dry. Push it to you. If you haven't heard it, hear it. It's fucking great. And now, into our top five, Craig. Uh, In honour of the man. In honour of the man's um, prolific cocaine selling run. (laughs) 
<laughs> in honor, of, in honor of Prime, Dave. Is that what you're in saying? Honor of Sorry. Prime. Sorry, someone, um, my editor in work pointed out to me during the week. He was like, he's like, have you ever seen this tweet? And it's like that fucking asshole Ben Shapiro. He put up like tweet once where like he quoted someone where somebody was like, you know, what's the one thing that you would ban if you could ban something in the world? And like he like quoted this tweet and goes note how nobody said crime and everyone in the replies were like crime is banned you fucking moron <laughs> like <laughs> oh, that's I enjoyed good. that I enjoyed that yeah. the lighter side of crime I suppose but uh, yeah so what was your approach that's kind of where week? we're going yeah, I, yeah so. I, I after our kind of conversation about it um, it made my selection process easier when the songs that were popping into my head were kind of jams and ones that I was like, I haven't heard that in a while. I'll stick it on to kind of cut the clip. And I'm like, I'm just enjoying this. Um, but it's obviously using darker subject matter um, to get the kind of lyrics off. So yeah, not a week for like deep diving for me into like, you know, the lyrical poetry of Nick Cave's murder ballads and what it signifies for, you know, society and all that kind of stuff. Maybe for you, Dave? <laughs> I almost uh, crowbarred in Song for Bob from the Assassination of Jesse by the Carrot Robert Ford soundtrack. Oh. But I was like, I surely I've picked this Wouldn't more than once it. already and it is stunning. But in the end, I, I, I set it to one side. But yeah, I no. assume yeah. you went with um, Alien Ant Farm's Smooth Criminal cover <laughs> five times. <laughs> if Probably it's not, already been picked. If it's not movies by that band, then I don't want to know. Um, I will say, I'll, I'll kick it off if that's okay. Um, Please do. And I will say that my number five is a controversial selection, an artist that I know people probably don't want us to talk about anymore on the show, but I, I found myself last night listening to this one and I was like, this is, I think, one of the best songs ever written. And I think it's got layers, in, especially because of, unfortunately, the artist now being very toxic. But uh, yeah. Morrissey, it ladies is. and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With a bullet in his gullet, uh, Hector was the first of the gang to die. That's the song, First of the Gang to Die, by Morrissey from the record, I think 2004? You Are the Quarry. Yeah. Uh, on the front of that album cover, Craig, he is sporting a Tommy gun that gangsters would use. And this is very yes. much in that vein. This is the story of, uh, of a charming gangster, uh, gunned down in his prime, apparently. Uh, I remember, I've often referenced my good friend Adam, who will, would make me mix CDs back in the mid-2000s. He put this on one of them, and I was like, this is fucking amazing. And obviously, obviously, I knew who William Patrick Morrissey was, of course, but I wasn't too au fait with his solo career. I eventually caught him live in 2007 in Kilmainham. It was amazing. We then caught him live in the three arena in around 2014 and it was horrendous that's amazing <laughs> we missed all the kind of he, he spent the first I think 15 minutes giving the people what they wanted yeah, and we, we missed, missed the hits and we arrived just in time for a rain soaked um, lecture yeah, and lots of new songs. Graphic footage, footage of like um, animals being slaughtered and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, lots of new songs. and yeah. it led to me writing the review that led to me leaving Hot Press. Remember that? That was a whole thing. Um, yeah. And if you want more of that, uh, patreon.com slash noencore. There's a two-part Q&A episode in which I get into this. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> it's over there. Nice. Uh, as for Morrissey, I mean, look, I, I completely understand if anyone's listening to this right now being like, for fuck's sake, this guy's scum and we don't hear any uh, praise for him. 
Fair enough. Uh, but I will say that like I hadn't heard the song in a long time. I thought it fit the bill perfectly for this week. I think it's a fantastic song and it's the best of him. It's the best version of him. It's the best idea of him as the showman and the guy who taps into darkness in a much more uh, harmonious, literally harmonious way. The, the melodies of this track are fucking incredible. It's such a good... It's such a good example of storytelling. And it's also just yeah. an absolute straight up belter that should have like topped the charts in the mid 2000s. So, yeah, there we go. That's me getting my, I think, uh, looking at this list now, probably, probably the most problematic on, on there. Although there are, you know, okay. Um, I've definitely picked the Smiths before. Um, it's been a while, but it's been a while. Uh, I did toy with a few Morrissey songs, this being one of them, um, because this is a like a subject matter that he's. He, he was so good at um, in fairness and that was a great comeback album and it's just sad how askew it all went um, but my number say, five sorry, yeah go on one last thing on this one I do love the lyric that kind of continues on when he says like you know he was the first guy in style and the first lost lad there's something about that as well like I think that taps into the idea of like you know men who've fucking given their lives over to violence and in the end it was for nothing and you know yeah the, it's the, you know it's it's what made um his kind of current views on a lot of issues so strange, I guess, because yeah. the best the best of Morrissey in terms of lyricism was this kind of vast reservoir of empathy and seeing uh, the colour and shade of people despite where they come from and all that kind of stuff. So exactly, it's just weird yeah. that he's become a bit of a caricature. Um, but yeah, we'll always have the songs, I guess, uh, if we can separate them. Uh, my number five as we're saying, is kind of proxy Morrissey. <laughs> Definitely influenced by him. And it's a belter as well, so let's get on with it. Killers, um, Marcy apologist Brandon Blairers. No, I won't say that. <laughs> I will not say that. He's a you know a long-suffering fan like the rest of us. Um, Jenny was a friend of mine. Being the track it was the opener from their debut, Hot Fuss. One of the great um, openers of all time. On one yeah, of the most. Yeah, I think it was the one that you you kind of say, oh, that's my favorite Killers song <laughs> when on, they started getting going. On one of the most front-loaded albums to ever exist. Of oh, course. it's insane the way that tails off. You just need my side A. You don't word. need side B. One hundred percent. This is so good. And this is, um, there's direct quotes from Brandon Flowers about how um, Morrissey kind of influenced um, this track um, and a few other tracks they've done. This ended up being part of like a murder trilogy that they did, but it was initially going to be like the backbone of the entire record and that didn't pan out. And far weaker other song, Midnight Show, was on it. And then there was a was it Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf or something, just ended up coming out in some compilation years later. Anyway, so that was kind of abandoned. But yeah, Brandon Flowers has said, uh, to find this quote, he traces his interest in murder and death back to Morrissey singing about how he loved the romance of crime in the song Sister, I'm a Poet. And Brandon said, I studied that line a lot and it's kind of embedded in me, which is slightly terrifying. Um, he loved uh, he loved Netflix, wouldn't he? All those true crime docs. Do you know what? The, yeah, you've nailed it. I think this is like this as an indie pop song is kind of proto true crime podcast, really. Yeah, <laughs> do you know what so. I mean? Um, because it's it's kind of it's quite voyeuristic. I don't think it's concerning it 
itself too much um, with like the victim. Um, it's more, I think it's more that Brandon Flowers is fascinated with how um, crime can be used in lyrics and by his favourite 80s English um, indie bands than the actual subject matter itself. I would wager though that an awful lot of people are blindsided by the uh, gallivanting melody of this one, the overpowering arrangement to the point where the lyrics are so background in some cases, despite the fact that his vocals are really high in the mix. I think this is a great shout for like, you know, the classic, no one really listens to the lyrics, but they should thing. Uh, and it's not necessarily yeah. a judgment here. It's more a case of like, I think you could realistically listen to the song for 20 years and not have a fucking clue what it was about. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I, yeah, I don't know if that is, does that make it a very clever pop song? Because it's doing that kind of thing. It's, it it's definitely deceptive. does, but was it yeah. intentional? Yeah, kind of. Or is it, yeah, that lyrically he's kind of a bit vague about where you know, the judgment of the piece or where his kind of interest lies. I don't know. I can't really answer that. But the the tune is so good. The bass line is tremendous. Excellent song. Mark Stormer, I think. It's great. It's one of their absolute best. Um, And that's my pick for number five. Nice one. It makes me want to fucking buy that record on vinyl. So, you know, just to have that one. Uh, Overhated band, as we've discussed before. They have a lot of gems, the killers do. Um, Number four for me, uh, you can't redo a list about crimes and this kind of stuff without having this guy on here, I don't think. It's Johnny Cash there with a uh, cocaine blues, the original Pusha T in many respects. I think we can uh, <laughs> we can all agree. Um, so I didn't go for Folsom Prison Blues, in which he shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Craig might, Craig might have that on his list, I don't know, but it's an unbelievably good line. Brutal, and de- definitely sums all this up. But yeah, I went with Cocaine Blues, which actually, and the version you heard there is uh, him performing in Folsom Prison. And it's disturbing when he says, you know, I shot my wife down, and like all the lads in the background are like, like cheering along it's like i don't know this is not good um reminiscent of that time that james hetfield goes to the prison uh to uh, shoot the saint anger video which is in some kind of monster the metallica documentary and he's on stage and he's like all these like hardened cons there who are in the video and stuff and the documentary's like we have to be really careful some of these guys kill people um but it all always reminds me of how this does of like crusty in the simpsons uh when he's visiting springfield prison <laughs> he's doing his johnny cash bit uh johnny cash the man in black uh famous for this kind of stuff and very much you know the kind of the country outlaw guy who would tell you all these stories of murder and mayhem you would imagine that he didn't actually kill anybody. But what, how do we feel, though, about the jaunty nature of this and like it being about a brutal crime and his subsequent apprehension by the law? Does he pull it off? I think he does. I think he does. He has the gravitas. I think he is, as a man and as an artist, fully aware of the implications of, you know, what's going on in that kind of way of life. <sighs> It's a really tricky one, though, because on the one hand, you're like, okay, he's playing prison, so he's doing a kind of good public service. And you know what I mean? He's He doesn't necessarily have to be doing that. But then he's also doing songs that aren't preaching to prisoners. He's meeting them at their level and 
potentially glorifying some of the stuff that's going on and it just becomes very hazy. Yeah, specifically in this case, the murder of a woman, which of course, I mean, like, but I do yeah. think that it's dressed up in a way like, you know, obviously it's presented in this ditty format and I do think that there is actual three-dimensional commentary. I think it's meant to be judgmental in its way and, con- and condemning yeah. in its yeah. way. I don't think it's as celebratory as it might sound. And I think the very fact that he's even there doing this almost adds to that level of not quite satire. There's a word I can't quite locate here, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it's almost the doing it in the prison. It's a meta commentary on yeah. the songs themselves and how we commodify, I guess, crimes like that for entertainment, but also how that gets glorified and how it kind of churns out, you know, more people like that in the system. There's a lot going on, and he, I think the t- big takeaway is he was the smart man that was aware of all that stuff. But then you'll have people going that like it's it's not good enough. I don't know. It's a tricky one. Yeah, I think it's very sharply written and I like my own reading of it has always been that it was that level of kind of three dimensional as opposed to you know, it's like Brady Snell's an American Psycho where people are like, Oh, it's a it's a handbook, it's an instruction manual and I'm like, I don't think it fucking is. I always thought it was a deeply dark satire and I do find it very funny and I do find it very shocking and you know, I can understand completely though why somebody would take the opposite view, and I guess that's the nature of kind of, you know, complex and tricky and in some cases dangerous art. But uh, yeah. also the best part of that very boring Walk the Line movie when Walking Phoenix plays this. I enjoyed that. What you got next, Craig? Um, from the man in black to the man in the big suit. David Byrne, his Talking Heads, and Psycho Killer, which was not a hit, I guess, but the first well-known song they had. Um, probably one that a lot of people would know anyway, and it's it's an interesting one. Um, I have some personal history with this. Um, you wrote it, Previously talked about... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, previously talked about Radiohead's Lucky and how I knew it initially from my uncle playing it on guitar. This is another case of like the same uncle playing this when I was like five years old, like family gatherings and me belting out that I, 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 I thing <laughs> and loving it and being like, this is my favorite song. What's a psycho killer? Um, so it corrupted me. Didn't really because I didn't know really what it was about. Um, it's an interesting one um, because it's a character. It's almost a character that David Byrne does a lot, right? It's kind of the jittery paranoia not really connecting with people, not being sure if you kind of fit in with society. But most of the other characters in his songs are, you know, just struggling to get on with their day job or like find a girlfriend. And when he does a song like Psycho Killer, where it's very explicit that there's a a spillover into violence, you're kind of like, well, then actually, is that like, does that make it implicit or explicit even that all the rest of his characters have like bodies hidden in their crawl space do you know what I mean it just puts a kind of an interesting kind of um, quotation mark around a lot of his other stuff Uh, it doesn't of course he's talked about it being um, written initially as a bit of a joke Um, what he was going for was Alice Cooper doing a Randy Newman type song which I think he nails Um, he wrote it in college when the band were just kind of getting together um the whole French Bridge was written by Tina Weymouth um, and it initially was supposed to be in Japanese 
Um, but they had a problem where David Byrne approached the only Japanese speaking woman he knew and like presented her with the lyrics and was like, can you translate this for me? And she freaked out <laughs> because the lyrics are dark as fuck. So like, oh, okay, Tina, we'll just go with some French. Um, but yeah, it's, it's again, that thing of like it being a bit of a bop and the baseline's great. It's been used by, you know, so, so many different places. Selena Gomez, um, used it really well. On Bad Liar, um, yeah, good track. Great track. Um, and when Stop Making Sense starts, it's like him coming out with the boombox and, you know, kicking this off. And it's like, it's a celebration. And people go fucking I mean? crazy. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but the root of it all is this unease, paranoia, um, you know, deep commentary on society and how people are very, very messy um, all along a kind of spectrum but we just try and kind of crowbar them into this kind of neat box. Um, and sometimes that neat box gets a little messy as well. Um, so my number three is the first one I thought of for this list. It has previously featured in a No Encore top five of the year. It wasn't crowned the best song of the year it was out in, but I think it's incredible. And I found myself recently going back to a kind of apropos of nothing really and being like, yeah, this is just incredible. And I don't know why it's not more well-known or well-respected. Here it is. You blow up, you know what? I get bucked. Let me go get my gun. I got one in the chamber. I'm planning no aiming. God damn it. You know that the damage is done. Bitch, I'm emotional because I'm in stress. I'm not supposed to go through this, I guess. So in conclusion, since you like rappers that's killing that pussy, I'm killing she myself. Said, ooh, day, ooh. Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa. Ooh, That is Mona Lisa by Lil Wayne featuring an astonishing guest performance by Kendrick Lamar. Uh, This song is ostensibly about uh, a a betrayal of a relationship which leads to a home invasion, a robbery and ultimately uh, a suicide, I believe. Um, Very, very dark stuff and doesn't really paint anyone involved in the story in in a very sensitive or glowing light. You could reasonably make the argument that there is a strong element of sexism and even misogyny in these lyrics, but I do, again, come back to the idea of this being commentary and the idea of this being, you know, kind of using characters who have fallen on, you know, particularly dark path in their lives, and this is just presenting the reality that can happen in life and that people aren't, in fact, always perfect, etc., um, I don't mean for that to sound like kind of dodging or dismissal. I didn't write the song, but I do think it's incredible. And I've always just found it so compelling. Um, that's the end of the song there. And like, I always find myself every single time when that refrain comes in at the very end with Lil Wayne, I wish it, I wish he doubled up on it and just, it, it played another couple of times because yeah, I'm just like, yeah. it's such a charge and such a rise. And seriously, like if you've never heard the song, when Kendrick Lamar gets going about three or four minutes into this thing, I don't know how he does what he does. I truly, really don't. Like, uh, it's people talk all the time about Eminem being this machine gun rapper, and he is, and his vocal ability is incredible, even if, you know, I don't love all of his work. Uh, Kendrick Lamar, who has definitely, you know, done his fair share of features where he is there for a paycheck, uh, not here. This is akin to his kind of features on Compton in which you're like, well, this guy just stole everything. This guy just t- took the fucking album away from the person who made it. It's ridiculous. And I, yeah, I, th- I think this is an amazing song. Um, I think even on a surface level, the way it's put together, Lil Wayne's brilliant on it as well. Um, like I say, I mean, it is like, it's really fucking nasty in places, but I think it is a work of art. 
we probably had this discussion on the podcast at the time and I know Colm Regan like said when he first heard that Kendrick Lamar verse he was just floored it's unbelievable what do you think? I love it I think it's unbelievable as well I mean I love it is a weird phrase to say about it it's I admire it a huge amount I was gobsmacked when it came out uh, I, I think that whole record's pretty good and Kendrick would you know as much as he will do his pop features and phone it in um, when it's a Wayne or a Dre it's a thing of like him giving his best, but also clearly wanting to show that he is the most talented guy in the room. So it's that competitive thing. Um, so he just goes all out. Um, it's remarkable. I'm now very excited once again at the prospect of him coming back. I think it's interesting, like the two heaviest ones, um, densest ones we picked so far have been from the world of country and the world of hip hop. And I think as genres, they are expected to go there in terms of the subject matter of the people that are generally the kind of audience um you know people that would be tuning into those songs and expecting the unvarnished truth about society and what's going on around them and i think that's a huge part of art i think you are being disingenuous if you take that out and you start putting limitations on people it's a conversation that is ongoing, but it's just like, I guess my take is always like if the artistry is true and it's not being willfully flippant or um, I guess kind of using a situation um, in a way that's disingenuous, if it's doing it to convey emotion and a genuine story. I'm all for it. Yeah, so, I mean, like, yeah. like this, this is clearly like, you know, this could be in a crime film. Like, I mean, this yeah. is like characters betraying one another and, you know, tragedy and horror and, you know, a lack of empathy in some cases and some really kind of very nasty, just like decisions made here and there. And, you know, we see this all the time in whether it's a work of fiction or aforementioned Netflix true crime documentaries that people seem to fucking obsess over in podcasts, etc. So, yeah, yeah, I think this is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And if you've never heard it, definitely go your way to hear it. That's Mona Lisa by Lil Wayne. Um, let's stick with hip hop and let's keep it, um, very menacing, great storytelling, but ugh. explicit. Here we go. My man Imp left a tech and a nine at my crib. Turned himself in, he had to do a bid. A one to three, he be home the end of 93. I'm ready to get this paper, G. You with me? Motherfucking right. My pockets looking kind of tight. And I'm stressed, yo biggie, let me get the vest. No need for that. Just grab the fucking gap. The first pocket that's fat, the tech is to his back. Word is born, I'ma smoke him. Yo, don't fake no moves. What? Treat it like boxing, stick and move, stick and Nigga, move. You ain't got to explain shit. I've been robbing motherfuckers since the slave shit. Notorious B.I.G. Give me the loot. Um, I cut it off before the very, very catchy chorus, <laughs> which I'm liable to sing along with sometimes because <laughs> it's such a bop. And this is kind of the flip side, right? Because it's Biggie in full flow showing all of his um, wordplay and insane kind of on the mic talent in the same way that a Kendrick would. But actually, there's something kind of darkly comic about it. And you could say it's kind of glorifying and fictionalizing his own um, history. So Notorious B.I.G., um, I believe he uh, sold crack. What, what is the sentence? I believe he sold crack. <laughs> I don't want to do the book. College lecturer Craig. <laughs> <laughs> he grew up on the streets. He, he wasn't a gangster. Um, he wasn't a kind of violent criminal. And he became a rapper and was clearly um, a deeply sensitive artist more than anything. And ultimately what led to his passing was 
him and Tupac, another sensitive artist, getting carried away with the kind of characters they were creating. And I think it was more so Tupac. Um, Biggie tried to kind of de-escalate the situation and we know how that kind of went. But here you just have a man who is an incredible storyteller, a brilliant, brilliant writer, a brilliant writer of dialogue, um, a shapeshifter. It's this great interplay where it's him doing two characters. One is kind of his gangster persona, um, his overseeing kind of, you know, top of the game persona with this younger um, upstart who I guess is kind of also him. But actually it amounts to like a more lethal, more effective Marvin Harry from Home Alone. Like they're kind of bickering with each other and it gets kind of darkly comic. Um, and just the way he flips his voice is so great. It's some of the lines you just like shouldn't enjoy so much because they're so explicit. But his cadence and the stickiness of his hooks are just such that like they just stay with you and they're immensely enjoyable because I think when he keeps coming up in the conversation um, for greatest rapper of all time, you could make cases for, you know, your M&Ms, as you say, where it's all about like the rapid flow and do you like, you know, that Kendrick thing of just like, I can't believe he's spitting so many lines. Yeah, um, physical ability. Yeah. And Biggie has that. But actually, I would argue his big thing was just how many memorable lines. Like they're sing-along choruses, just one-off bars because they're so kind of good. And as I say... Once he gets into the, give me the loop, give me the loop, you're kind of there with him. You know what I mean? It's pure kind of fantastical um, serotonin rush. It will pick you up and it shouldn't because it's these horrific crimes. Um, but yeah, it's undeniable. And that's how good he was. But anytime like a song like Hypnotize comes on, you're just automatically yeah. like, like, you're almost getting into your fucking It was seat. all a dream. <laughs> you know, like, like, that, like, ju- <laughs> that juicy thing of like that opening is incredible. It's ridiculous. It, it, it has a genuine physical effect on you. It's which, you know, that's what the best songs do, I I, I believe. Um, number two for me is, I believe, I, I would say the signature song for this band. And this is, to this day, one of my favourite band names of all time. November of 1990 that has been caught stealing by Jane's Addiction and uh, it's just an all-timer isn't it? Uh, I love it so much yeah. it, it, it hasn't really aged for me I think it's just perfect um, so it opens up with like a dog barking and uh, Rolling Stone said it was the best use of dog barks since Pet Sounds <laughs> uh, oh, Rolling Stone. Perry Farrell said that was Annie I'd got her from a dog shelter and she was quite needy so I brought her down to the studio that day rather than leave her at home I'm singing in the booth with headphones on Annie gets all excited and starts going rough 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 the fact that she ended up in the track was just pure coincidence one of those great rock and roll stories you know uh, very uh, VH1 yeah 1990 <laughs> the music. I'd say Annie is unfortunately no longer with us very Marge Simpson you know of me there with uh, determined or not that cat is long dead um, so <laughs> Moving on, though, uh, Larry Flick of Billboard was a fan of this track. He said, uh, after a long, long and impressive reign at modern rock radio, this cut from the acclaimed band's current set is well poised to click at the top 40. He was correct. It was number one on the U.S. modern rock chart for four weeks, actually, in, in, in the U.S. Um, yeah, Jane's Addiction are one of those bands where... Uh, I've never fully cracked them, I don't think. They, they tend to have a handful of really great standalone singles. 
but they've kind of been dying again on forever, including the excellent uh, Just Because from 2003 with yeah. its really hypnotic guitar riff. Uh, I love this. This just feels so perfectly of its time. Like, like I think you could put this on next to a Beastie Boys track, you know, like Sure Shot or Sabotage. And uh, yeah, perfect for uh, for a nice summer party in which someone is presumably stealing something in the background, you know? Do you ever shoplift, oh, you Craig? The, um, I don't think so, no. Unless I was like extremely young and I like grabbed some sweets or something, but I don't have any like, I was seven years old and... <laughs> no, how about you? Uh, I stole some micro machines from like a Dunn stores when I was a kid. I felt very, very bad about it. You bring them back? Did, were you caught? What? I can't remember actually. Did I bring them back? Maybe. Do you still have them? No, I don't still have them. Um, I also remember I once um, I once stole a fiver from my dad to buy him a Father's Day present. I bought him like... Uh, oh, hold on. I might have done that. Yeah. I, bought I him, might have done that. I bought him like The Client by John Rings Grisham. And uh, <laughs> he wasn't happy. <laughs> he would have rather not have been robbed as it turned out. I think I had to return the book. It was horrendous. I was just trying to do a nice thing. I was a kid. So your dad didn't get to read it? I think he'd already read it. He already had it, yeah, of course he did. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Which you know, um, only added to the chagrin of him having to be like, what? I was, <laughs> you took money from me to get me a thing of our, like, yeah, so genius move from your dad eh? there. Kids, eh? Kids are the funniest things. Uh, great song, Good, though. Great song. Uh, I think I first heard it when it uh, featured in Gone in 60 Seconds, I believe. Do you remember that? Oh, wow. That's on my rewatch list. Not a great film, I, but, you know. No, I was reminded of that when you mentioned, like, you know, out in the sunshine at a barbecue. I think it's at the end when they're like celebrating oh, okay. and they're like literally at a barbecue spoilers for, this is on the background. Spoilers for Gone in 60 oh, Seconds. Oh yeah, yeah. They, uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> full off the car hoist. I would bet uh, a crisp fiver, a crisp Irish punt fiver stolen from my dad's uh, wallet. Did he have a wallet? Um, that it, it popped up in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, which I believe my number one I'd imagine also so. did. Adam had his hand up. That was exactly what I was going to say. Sorry, Damn my... It fear just went crazy there um, yeah I was going to say about the San Andreas thing it's in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas and I just remember like <clears throat> there's like a particular moment in it that sticks in my head where it's like you're driving across the like kind of back country I don't know how to explain it <laughs> it's, there's like a lot of lot of like a lot of country scape in there and it's just like me in a pickup truck <laughs> managing the mountain ranges and just like falling off the mountain ranges to which my car flips upside down somehow immediately goes on fire for some physical reason that none of us could ever understand and me being very sad and having to walk to the nearest town to uh, steal a motorbike or something you know but what about the video game Adam? <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a good point Dave good point lovely stuff lovely stuff, lovely stuff. okay um, my runner up uh, I want to get back to the real world consequences of crime uh, after the flippancy of Gimme the Loot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all this gang banging is going to go wrong at some point. For one, you might scare the life out of a talented rapper who is only looking to spend a lovely evening shooting some dice with some new friends. Regulate, it's Warren G and Nate Dog. I don't think we've picked it before. 
I, I've put it off a lot because it's been a shoe, like it seemed like a shoe in for a lot of top fives and I'm just like, I'll get to it eventually. And I finally got to it. Unless Dave, you're going to tell me that we did in fact pick it like well, six months ago. Adam has his hand up. So let's see. Go on, we're... Adam. I just have an interesting piece of trivia on this song. Oh, um, yeah. First of all, I love the song. It's amazing. I shouted, yeah, when it came on there, um, <laughs> to which the listeners won't be able to hear because I'm going to kindly edit that out of the episode. But... I did not realise this is a Michael McDonnell sample. Oh yeah, it is. That just improves it, right? Bit of uh, Yacht Rock in the background. Like a, like a week ago I found this out and I was stunned. It's a, it, yeah, the original's a bop as well. Keep forgetting. It's it's an ultimate like um, divorce core song as well. It's oh, nice. like middle-aged dad is just like, I keep forgetting we're not in love anymore as he's talking to like his ex-wife. <laughs> It's great. I it's feel really like good. I, I may have picked this before, but I'm not sure. I will say that I don't this think week, you did. Though, oh, yeah, I had a quick Google. But this week, though, I've yeah, never been allow more me confident. To, allow me to consult the uh, allow me to consult the archives one second. I've never been oh, more yeah, confident uh, than I was this week about Craig picking a song, so I didn't <laughs> pick it. So I appreciate that. Um, it was, I think, it was Warren G's debut single. It was also used in the soundtrack of Above the Rim, a two-pack film. Uh, Nate Dogg obviously seals the show. There's some things about it that, obviously, it's it's an absolute belter, but I love the fact that it's kind of about, like, enduring friendship and, you know, a love for music and that prevailing over all these hoodlums. Um, I, I constantly love how generous Nate Dogg is <laughs> about saying, like, myself and Warren G had to regulate, even though Warren G was in no position to regulate. <laughs> <laughs> I've long thought that. But just this week, I was thinking, if this was Warren G's, like, Certainly his breakthrough song, if not his debut. He shows like a surprising amount of vulnerability in terms of the lyrics for like a gangster rap gangster just like trying to establish himself as a force to be reckoned with. Like all the 50 Cent initial songs were just like, I've been shot and it's nothing and I'm like hard as feck. With this Warren G song, you've got like him basically being like, I'm about to die. Like, I'm going to fly away with the angels. Oh my God, my friend is here to save me at the last moment. He's very vulnerable and I appreciate it. We've uh, we've mentioned it numerous times, but this is the subject of the greatest Wikipedia page of all yeah. time. Even though it's not currently active, if you just Google regulate Wikipedia page, uh, page, page and maybe Reddit as well, Dave, you'll find do you want it. some of this? I've got it in oh, front yeah, of me. Yeah, please, please, A little please. bit of it. No, 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 no. Are we doing the whole thing? The whole okay. thing. Before, before Craig dives in, I'd just like to say this has not been picked before in I a top five. I can't fucking believe it. Yeah, we're doing it. We're <laughs> wow. finally doing it. Okay. Sometimes we just hold back on classics for no real reason and like, my God, this is amazing. Okay, oh, okay. yeah, so uh, some genius that we don't know who did a elongated narrative Wikipedia page description of what the song is about. Craig has it and uh, oh. read the whole thing. First of all, it should never have been removed from Wikipedia because it's like, it's completely factual and beautifully written. And here it goes. On a cool, clear night, typical to Southern California, Warren G. travels through his neighborhood, searching for women with whom he might initiate sexual intercourse. He's chosen to engage in this pursuit alone. Nate Dogg, having just arrived in Long Beach, seeks Warren. (laughs) Ironically, Nate passes a car full of women who are excited to see him. He insists to the women that there is no cause for excitement. (laughs) Warren makes a left at 21st Street and Lewis Avenue, where he sees a group of young men enjoying a game of dice together. (laughs) He parks his car and greets them. He's excited to find people to play with, but to his chagrin, he discovers they intend to relieve him of his material possessions. (laughs) 
Once the hopeful thieves reveal their firearms, Warren realises he is in a considerable predicament. Meanwhile, Nate passes the women as they are low on his list of priorities. <laughs> his primary concern is locating Warren. After curtly casting away the strumpets, <laughs> whose interest in Nate was such that they crashed their automobile... <laughs> He serendipitously (laughs) stumbles upon his friend Warren G being held up by the young miscreants. Warren, unaware that Nate is surreptitiously observing the scene unfold, is in disbelief that he's being robbed. The perpetrators have taken jewellery and a name brand designer watch from Warren, who is so incredulous that he asks what else the robbers intend to steal. This is most likely a rhetorical question. (laughs) Observing these unfortunate proceedings, Nate realises that he may have to use his firearm to deliver his friend from harm. The tension crescendos as the robbers point their guns to Warren's head. Warren senses the gravity of the situation. He cannot believe the events unfolding could happen in his own neighbourhood. As he imagines himself escaping in surreal fashion, he catches a glimpse of his friend Nate. Nate has 17 cartridges, 16 residing in the pistols magazine, with a solitary round placed in the chamber and ready to be fired to expend on the group of robbers. Afterward, he generously shares the credit for neutralizing the situation with Warren, though it is clear that, clear that Nate did all the difficult work. Here, here. Putting congratulations aside, Nate quickly reminds himself that he has committed multiple homicides <laughs> to save Warren before letting his friend know that there are females nearby if he wishes to fornicate with them. What a good mate. Warren recalls that it was the promise of copulation that coaxed him away from his previous activities and is thankful that Nate knows a way to satisfy these urges. <laughs> Nate quickly finds the women who earlier crashed their car on Nate's account. He remarks to one that he is fond of her physical appearance. The woman, impressed by Nate's singing ability, asks that he and Warren allow her and her friends to share transportation. <laughs> Soon, both friends are driving with automobiles full of women to the East Side Motel, presumably to consummate their flirtation in an orgy. The third verse is uh, more expository, with Warren and Nate explaining their G-Funk musical style. Warren displays his bravado by daring anyone to approach the style. There follows a brief discussion of the genre's musicological features, with special care taken to point out that in said milieu, the rhythm is not in fact the rhythm, as one might assume, but actually the bass. Similarly, the bass serves a purpose closer to that which the treble would in more traditional musical forms have taken. Nate displays his bravado by claiming that individuals with equivalent knowledge could not even attempt to approach his level of lyrical mastery. Nate goes on to note that if any third parties smoke, as he does, they would find themselves in a state of intoxication almost daily. (laughs) From Nate's other works, it can be inferred that the substance referred to is marijuana. Nate concludes his delineation of the night by issuing a threat to busters, suggesting that he and Warren will further regulate any potential incidents in the future, presumably by engaging their antagonists with small arms far. <laughs> the end. <laughs> well done, Craig. Bravo. Thank you. I'm going to remember, but my God. Unbelievable. What an incredible piece of writing. Why was that taken down? I don't understand it. I have it. no idea. It's, it's we masterpiece. Need, we need to track down the writer. That has to be a, an article existing already, right? It has we'll to find be. it. We'll find it. Um, I don't know how to follow that, but I think my number one can. Here it is. want to make a deal with me. Scoop me up and put me on. They team and chill with me. And make my pockets bigger. 
They wanna meet with me tonight at 7 o'clock So what's up, nigga? What you wanna do? What you wanna do? I got the gauge of Uzi in my motherfucking 22 So if you wanna blast, nigga, we can buck them If we stick them, then we stuck them So fuck Yeah, and you don't stop Cause it's 187 on the undercover car Yeah, and you don't stop 30 years of age as of this month That's Deep Cover, the debut single from Dr. Dre de- Sorry, debut solo single from Dr. Dre Along with Snoop Doggy Dog, as he was called at the time uh, So Deep Cover uh, is written for a film also called Deep Cover Starring Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum which is an excellent, excellent film, if people haven't seen it. Uh, the then Larry Fishburne, uh, in a star-making role, he goes undercover as a cop into a very kind of dangerous labyrinthine underworld. Jeff Golden plays a sleazy lawyer who's fond of cocaine. Uh, it's brilliant. I rewatched it there about a year ago or so, and it's just, it's so beautifully filmed. Uh, it's really compelling. Lawrence Fishburne's performance is exceptional. It's great, and this song is amazing as well. This song is about the killing of undercover cops, of course, and uh, I'm also pretty sure it features in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. It must, right? It has to. I remember from like Adam just driving it's around. It's a Radio Los Santos classic, Dave. Of course it is. <laughs> and it is a classic. We, of course, do not advocate the murder of um, our fine police force, but uh, Jesus... This sounds amazing. <laughs> like, yeah. It's back to the push of the thing of just like, it's like watching Scorsese films, I guess, right? It's escapism. It's it's entertainment. And yeah, you don't have Regulate without this. It started a whole thing, for better or worse. And But some of the songs are just incredible. <laughs> like this one. Yeah, that's my number one. And uh, straight in, straight in with a bullet. Ooh, okay. And I'm really glad I picked this number one now. picked it because I'm spent and we've already <laughs> talked about it and Dave is COVID so yeah. <laughs> we can kind of wrap up. We can wrap I will up. just say yeah, I, I bought this album and didn't really um, fuck with it hugely initially. It was the debut album I think that I still prefer, Nothing Shocking um, which this isn't on of course, this is Ritual de la Habitual. Um, it's a bit more eclectic. It's interesting. I've I've gone back to it a bit, but um, nothing shocking is the one I would recommend for people as a, as a kind of way in. Um, and I initially got into that because it was quite circuitous, but it's it's kind of interesting to me. So Jane's Addiction got back together for a live performance on like MTV's twentieth anniversary or something, and I remember seeing that show. Um, it was the same show where Rob Halford called Sum 41 the future of heavy metal <laughs> before performing with them. And it was a really good performance. But Jane's Addiction came out and they were introduced by Carson Daly. Nice. Right? And Carson Daly, um, it's become a bit of a punchline. I don't know. He seems like a, f- a fine fellow. But he said, by way of introduction, if there was what wo- if my apartment was on fire and I could grab one album, it would be Nothing Shocking by Jane's Addiction. And this was prior to, like, high-speed Wi-Fi. So I took Carson Daly's recommendation excellent, and excellent. bought Nothing Shocking. And it's tremendous. And, of course, sadly, 
the song they performed, which was this, wasn't on it. <laughs> and then when I finally got the studio version, it wasn't as muscular as the kind of live version they did in the thing. But hey, listen, overall, a good thing. Um, thank you, Carson Daly. And that's the end of our top five songs. It, it is, crime. yeah. I think he, you know, like, you, you follow the man's sincere advice. There was no kind of deception. There was no robbery. Of course, one man who has stolen our hearts and continues to hey. is Sonic Architect Adam who made this episode sound so crisp and clean and beautiful. And you got to hear his own dulcet tones. Adam, how you feeling, boy? I'm feeling good. Um, it's been a long day, but I can safely say, after listening to that top five, I love crime. <laughs> <laughs> got his mic. Uh, he won't be back next week. <laughs> of course, no encore uh, explicitly forbids the, uh, the actions of crime and doing anything no, illegal. No, 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 Dave. I love crime. <laughs> Okay, well, we can't speak for Adam. Sonic arsonist there, Adam Shannon. Stay safe, respect the laws, etc. Blah, 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 blah. Don't get COVID because I'm not enjoying it. And uh, yeah, that was a fun one. Craig, we had a couple of crossovers now, two weeks in a row. Having not usually done before. I know, yeah. Wow. Do you think we're just doing top five so long that our friendship is far longer than the podcast? So I don't know. Maybe we need a break from each other. We're in sync. Yeah, maybe. Possibly. Well, we'll be back next week, though, I hope. Uh, That's my voice going again. So I'm going to wrap it up. Patreon.com slash noencore. If you'd like to support the show, there is a brand new no ox court out there right now. Like I said, I teased a tell-all of my my, my former job. That's on there as well. (laughs) You can get that episode. We should do another Q. Oh, my God. We should do another Q&A at some point. Perhaps when I'm in. Yeah, we'll give it a week or two. (laughs) (laughs) My name is David strength back. My name is Dave Hanrody. This has been No Encore. There will be no encore. And uh, yeah, get well soon. Me. Bye bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.